Welcome to another inspirational message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Oh, I love church. You know that? I do. I tell you one day, I don't know how it happened. You know, I had been saved for a number of years. I was, uh, you know, uh, I wasn't living in sin. You know, I was reading the Word of God. I was praying. I was even telling people about Jesus, you know. I was, you know, on a good road, you know. I had a good marriage, you know. Kids were fine. Everything was going good. And then one day, something happened that completely changed my life, even though I was, you know, I was living a good life. I don't know how it happened. But all of a sudden, I, I had that almost like a patriotic feeling. You know, you ever, you ever feel like something's bigger than you? Something like, you know, you ever, have you ever felt like, you know, there was something you could give your life for? You could... You could, you know, something worth your life. You know, uh, you know I'm, I'm, I'm a veteran. I've, I've, I've felt that patriotic moment of, of, you know, rising and feeling as though, you know, when the flag is waving and I'm saluting and, you know, playing the national anthem or, or something. is, You know, that, that patriotic moment, that feeling. I had that feeling about the church. Not any local church, but the church. Something happened. I, I, I don't know how, and I can't tell you what I did to make it happen. But I can tell you that something happened to me at one point in my life, and I realized that the church was the bride of Christ, and He had called me to take care of it. He had called me to protect it. To take care of it and it was one of those moments it was just like you know you know raising my hand and 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 saying you know uh, I, I pledge allegiance you know I pledged my allegiance to the church of Jesus Christ uh, and from that day unto this the last four or five days no I'm teasing uh, <laughs> from that day to this and that was back in like 1979 from that day to this I have felt that way about the church it's almost like you know uh, I, I, I was uh, I was a part of a special security force uh, at one point in my life and and I, I uh, performed uh, body I was I was a bodyguard for US and foreign dignitaries uh, through Europe and I felt almost like that, like I had been trained to protect someone important. And who is more important than the bride of Christ? So I, I found myself wanting to be a part, you know, wanting to show up, wanting to take care of, wanting to, wanting, and I feel that way, you know, still, after all these years, coming to the church, coming to a church, this church, or coming to any church, or thinking about the church, or, 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 or you know, praying for the church, and imagining the church, imagining that, that, that we, you know, 
the believers in, in, in heaven and on earth, we, the church of the living God, that Jesus has called some people, in fact, he's called a lot of people, you and me both, to make sure that we take care of the church, that we're committed to the church. You know, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians that Jesus died for the church. The Bible says he's coming again for the church, the church. It's his body, it's his bride, it's his family, and he takes it pretty serious. Whenever the Apostle Paul was persecuting the church, you know, Jesus showed up in the big bright light outside of Damascus on a road that Paul was walking on, looking for people that he could take back who were a part of the church. He could take them back to Jerusalem, you know, to be interrogated or incarcerated or executed. And, uh, and, and uh, Jesus showed up and he said, Paul, you know, Saul, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He took it personal. I kind of liked that, you know. Uh, I, I had a little experience as, 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 a, uh, as a 14-year-old. Let me tell you really quickly. Some of you may have heard this, but uh, uh, please don't think ill of my dad because of it because it taught me a great lesson. But um, one day uh, 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 I, I bowed up against my mama, you know, and my mama, you know, called me down, and I, I kind of, you know, sassed her a little bit. I was 14 years old, and she slapped me. God bless you, Mama. Love you. But she slapped me. And when she slapped me, that 14-year-old boy, you know, whoo, now my mama was sweet and wonderful. But that 14-year-old boy with all that, you know, energy going on in his mind, uh, I, I, I pushed her against the kitchen wall. And I went like this. And, I mean, don't do that. I'm telling you what I did, Okay. This is written somewhere in a book that i got to stand up in heaven and give an account for. I may as well tell you about it. I'll be telling everybody in all the universe about it. <laughs> uh, I, I've been forgiven. But, you know, and I went on about my business. You know, macho 14-year-old boy that I am. And then my daddy came home later that evening. You know, I didn't say nothing. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm bebopping through, you know, the, in the kitchen, just, you know, taking my time, you know, not thinking. I mean, this, is, this was so over. I mean, I, I thought it was over until I'm just, <laughs> William, my dad, got me and shoved me up against that same kitchen wall. And, and he put his right hand on me like this. And he was left-handed. He took that. He drew it back. My eyes must have been this big around. <laughs> I thought, oh. And he said, how does that feel? my dad said my dad was very philosophical you know he 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 almost finished the whole sixth grade and uh i'm serious uh, but um he said how does that feel he said are you afraid i went yes sir. he said i'm going to tell you something while he still had me up there zach he still had me pinned up against that you know i'm barely on my tiptoes and he's pushing in pretty good and he's got that fist pulled back he said, I'm going to tell you something about that woman in there. You might think that that's your mother. That's my wife. Don't you ever make my wife afraid again. You understand me? He said, one day you're going to leave this house. But me and her, we're still going to be husband and wife. Now, don't you ever make your mom afraid again. That's my wife. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> I don't recommend this at home. I'm not telling you what to do. But I am telling you that whenever you mess with somebody's 
wife, somebody's family, especially when his name is Jesus. He showed them a bright light, <laughs> you know, put everybody on the ground, and said, hey, you mess with the church, you mess with me. And then that's what he told us. He said, listen, if anybody messes with you, realize they mess with me first, and I count it a righteous thing to recompense vengeance upon those that harm my family. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Whew. So anyway, I want y'all to know I don't know how it happened, but I know that it happened. One day I realized that the church of the living God was the body of Christ, the family of God, but was also the bride of Christ. And I didn't want to be caught just kind of flirting with the girlfriend of Jesus. I wanted to commit myself to the bride of Christ. You know, the church is just not his girlfriend, and he's just not here swinging through here, you know, uh, throwing out some pixie dust and, you know, uh, you know uh, gold dust, whatever it is. He's, he's, uh, he's actually committed his life and his eternity to the church. I love the church. Amen? The church of the living God. I want to encourage you. Uh, some of you, perhaps you're listening for the very first time, and maybe, you've, uh, maybe you have no idea who this guy is, and, and, and you know, it makes no difference. Uh, but listen to the truth of what I'm saying. Is that Jesus, he gave his life for the church. He's coming back for the church. Pay a little respect to the church of the living God. I'm not talking about a local congregation. And I'm not talking about all of the things that, that men and women do that, that, are, you know, that, that may appear to be connected to the church. Let me tell you something. The church of the living God is a righteous and a holy bride. The Bible says that she is adorned as a bride for her husband. And, 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 and she's adorned in fine linen, clean and white. And that linen is the righteousness of the saints. God sees the church a little bit different than perhaps some of us see it. It's not a political platform. It's not some religious organization. It's not some, you know, a money laundering group. And it's not some, you know, group of con people. Uh, the church of the living God is the living, breathing, you know, uh, uh, beloved bride of Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's, uh, let's all... Just check our uh, commitment to the church. As I said, I'm not talking about local churches, although without local churches, you don't have a church. Okay? And uh, if you're ever going to serve Jesus, you're going to find yourself serving somewhere else. If you're ever going to do anything for Jesus, you're going to find yourself doing something for somebody. And if you're going to be able to, to, to uh, be a part of what God wants us to be, the indication that he gave us in, uh, in the New Testament, from the book of Acts, then we're going to have to literally lay our lives down at some point for the greater strength and the greater work of the collective church of the living God. Amen. Well, hey, I said that. Uh, I don't know why. It's uh, not in my notes, but there it is, okay? So let's don't mess with the, with, with, with the bride of Christ. I realize that this is not just the place I come to sing and worship. <laughs> you know, this is the bride of Christ, and he's pretty particular about it. And how we, how we conduct ourselves and how we approach and what we expect and how we uh, strengthen and, and, and protect the church of the living God 
speaks a lot about us and speaks a lot about how we feel about Jesus. How somebody feels and talks about my wife is going to affect how I feel about them. Amen? It just will. All right. Well, tonight, uh, you can open up your Bibles. We're going to be going to the New Testament, and we're going to be going in a moment. Uh, uh, well, let, let, me, let me set us up with history, a little history first, okay? Uh, and tonight's message is entitled Couriers. Couriers. Uh, Dean, you have some couriers, don't you? They take uh, important documents here and there, different places, yeah, uh, for his law firm. And uh, that's what a courier does. It carry, you know, a courier may carry something, you know, uh, uh, something of value from one place to another. And so uh, let me give you just a little bit of a historical perspective, all right? Uh, in AD 62, history records that two men left Rome carrying a valuable treasure. Now, they had been commissioned as couriers to deliver some documents uh, that were written in Rome by a man in Rome who was actually in a Roman prison at that time. And these sworn documents were of the utmost importance. And the men were chosen very well. The men who were couriers were chosen very well, and uh, even though one of them was a former runaway slave. The second man, and perhaps the leader of these two, was a man named Titicus. That's kind of hard to say, but that was his name. The documents included at least three important letters. One was to be carried to the capital city of the province of Asia, uh, specifically to the city of Ephesus. Another one was to be carried on to a region called uh, uh, Phrygia, uh, about a hundred miles east of the Roman capital of, uh, of the province of Asia. And then a third one was to be hand-delivered to a man named Philemon who lived in the same region uh, in, in, in the central uh, western part of what is now Turkey. Now I've wondered, uh, with what regard did these men hold for the papers they were carrying? Did they know what they had in their hands? You know, they had been asked to carry these documents to, to curry them, as it were, to, to uh, you know, three different places and to place one of them in the hands of a special man. Did they understand that these documents needed to be protected, perhaps even at the expense of their life? I've, I've wondered, you know, uh, uh, did they understand what they were handling? Did they protect these documents? Uh, they, you know, these documents could not be replaced. They were the only ones in existence. I doubt they understood the true value or the lasting impact that these documents that they carried would have on the intended recipients. Can you imagine being one of those men? I've wondered what it would be like. Would I roll them up and put them in one of those little tubes, you know, 
to protect them from the salt water or the wind or the, you know, the dirt because they're going to have to walk a long ways. They're going to leave Rome walking and then they're going to get onto a ship. And you know, if they went just as the crow flies, they were going to go more than a thousand miles before they finished their journey. But if they went the way of the most favored routes, and by the way, if they went as the crow flies, they would have to walk on water. But uh, if, 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 uh, if, 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 if they went on the most you know, traveled and known route, which they would have, they would have walked a fair distance, boarded a ship, and then sailed another fair distance and, and walked a little more and perhaps got on another ship and sailed a little more and then walked a little more and before it was over would have gone over 1,500 miles. I went on Google Earth today uh, to find out exactly how far they would have gone. I mean, did they, did they just fold the papers up? And put them in some, you know, sheepskin satchel, maybe. I don't know. I'm hoping they did more than what, you know, some people would have done. Just perhaps, you know, just stick them in their pocket. Or maybe put them in their bags, you know, along with their clothes and their other personal effects. How did they carry the 1,500? Listen, this could have taken well over a month, perhaps even two months, depending on how they could catch ships going in this way that they were going. I mean, this was not a small thing. They had been entrusted with these documents, these very special documents, and told to carry them. And, and here they are on this journey. I mean, walking and, and dirty and, you know, uh, you know weather and, uh, you know, seas and, uh, you know, uh, uh, port cities. And they had to have them with them at every meal or else they had to leave them maybe in a hotel room or they had to, you know, or uh, set them down on the dock. I mean, did they care? Did they hold? I mean, how did they get, how did they protect them? With what regard did they approach their called duty? You know, finally, they arrived at this capital city of the, of the province of Asia. It is on the far western shores of what is now the country of Turkey. Many of you will go with me, 30 of you will be going with me to this specific city called Ephesus. It was the capital. It was, there was a Roman garrison there and you know, uh, perhaps you know, as many as 250,000 people lived there. Uh, you know, finally they arrived there and they found the people that they were supposed to leave uh, this first document with. Uh, what they carried, this treasure they carried, contained at least three very important letters. And then, you know, as we imagine, they would have at some point left Ephesus, and, and uh, you'll ride along on that road that same way they would have gone about 100 miles to the east, uh, to the region of Phrygia, and there they would have left a second letter at a city there, one of the major cities of that region called Colossae. And then one of them, a man named Onesimus, who had been a slave and had run away from his master, was commissioned and chosen to carry a very special letter back to his master, whose name was Philemon. They accomplished their duties. We 
no longer have the original documents, but we have copies. And these copies of these documents that they delivered on that journey have been translated by scholarly men into English, so we can read them tonight, also into Russian and Hindi and Mandarin, Chinese, into Spanish, into Farsi, into German and French, into Swahili and Telugu and Urdu and, and countless other uh, uh, you know, languages that they have been translated into because of their importance. This evening I would like to read just a little from one of these 2,000-year-old letters. Just a brief portion of it. It's a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul during his imprisonment. And uh, we'll briefly look at a small portion of the letter that these two men delivered for Paul to the church at Colossae. Can you imagine? How could they have known how important this letter was to that church and how important it would be to us 2,000 years later? Colossians, the first chapter. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Verse 1, this letter is from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. Now I encourage you to read this letter and also the letter to the Ephesians and also the one to Philemon in their entirety. But for the sake of the message that God has given me to share with you this evening, suffice it to say that Paul wrote this for some very specific reasons. Look with me in verse 6. Paul says to the church in Colossae, to the believers there who had embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, who had been born again, he says the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. Amen. Isn't that great? Now this is what he is this is what he is telling the believers of the church. He's encouraging them to know that the same gospel, the same good news, the same news of Jesus Christ which had come to them was also being sent out into all the world. Wow. It is bearing fruit everywhere. By changing lives. That's what it's meant to do. Isn't it amazing? For the last 2,000 years, the letter that these boys carried, these two boys, one of them a former runaway slave, and, and, and one of them from that region originally, uh, you know, here they were chosen to carry you know, a letter, a piece of paper. Did they understand that it was the Word of Almighty God? Did they understand that it was Holy Spirit inspired? Did they understand that the words contained life and power? That these words would build faith in the lives of men and women? That these words would change lives for an eternity? Could they imagine that? Probably not. They probably imagined what most couriers think 
I've been commissioned. I've been chosen. I've been told to carry these documents from point A to point B and give them to the people that they're intended for. It's been bearing fruit, the Apostle Paul wrote, everywhere by changing lives. That's, that's, that's the fruit of the gospel. It changes lives. We who were once sinners, we who were once strangers from the common wealth, we who were once liars and cheaters and fornicators, we who were once lost and undone without Christ, we who were once on our way to a sinner's hell, our life was changed and we are fruit of the gospel of Jesus Christ because Paul's right. It went out everywhere. <laughs> it is going out everywhere today. And it's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. I often ask people whenever I'm talking with them about Jesus and witnessing to them, and they inform me that they have at one point in their life asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. I don't doubt their, their sincerity, and I don't doubt that they have. But I ask them often, have you had a life change since you asked Jesus to come into your heart? Has your life changed? You know, I was drunk for two years. I'm going to tell you what Jesus did for me. He changed my life. I hadn't been drunk since 1976. Glory to God. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you, Jesus. Woo! That would have been enough. You know? It's like that old Hebrew song, uh, you know, Dayenu, that they sing at Passover. Die, Dayenu. It, it means it would have been enough. It would have been enough if he had just brought me out of Egypt. It would have been enough if he had just, you know, uh, just, just drowned the Pharaoh's army. It would have been enough if he had just given me manna. It would have been enough, you know. Elu hotsi hotsiana hotsiana mimitzrayim. Hotsiana mimitzrayim dayenu, as the... It says in the Hebrew, you know, <laughs> it would have been enough if he had just delivered me from that life. I haven't smoked pot since 1980. <laughs> Took me a few years after I quit drinking to quit smoking pot. <laughs> but he changed my life. <laughs> Y'all thought that was funny, didn't you? Well, I actually quit smoking pot back in 76 and then in 1980 I was sitting around a campfire with a bunch of people at squirrel camp and this was some of my old friends I wasn't that good of a witness to them by the way but hey praise God <laughs> Zach don't sit there smile at me I remember you sitting right there in that right over there actually and Looking at me like, I ain't doing it, I ain't doing it. Yes, you were. <laughs> changed your life, didn't he? He changed your life. That's the fruit of the gospel. He changes lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And he changed my life for the better. You know, that woman sitting right there, 
We'd been married just a few days when she hit me in the head with a bottle and knocked me out. I'm so glad Jesus changed her life. This same good news, this not, not, not another good news, not another philosophy, this same good news that, that came to you, the same good news that saved your soul, let me tell you something about it. Today, this word is still true. It's timeless. It's going out into all the world, all over the world, and it is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard it and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Thank God. But that's not the end of the story. The Apostle Paul continues to write. You should read it all. But let's hop down to verse 23. But, now, you might have had a changed life. But guess what? You must continue to believe this truth. <laughs> you got to continue, Paul said. It's not enough. Just to have once believed. It's not enough just to have changed. It's not enough just to have been delivered. It's not enough just to have been set free and given a good life. You must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world. And he says, I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. He couldn't have been prouder to be a preacher. You know, I mean, it, 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 he was just so proud to have been called called by God and to be a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 25, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. <laughs> and God has given me the responsibility and the privilege, but a responsibility, a responsibility to serve his church. Verse 28, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's my heart and my hope. I'm, I, I'm preaching. I'm, I'm preaching right now. I'm telling you, I'm telling every one of you out there all over the world, and this will be here for 30, 50 years should the Lord tarry. I'd be telling people all over the world about Jesus. How he saves, how he loves, how he forgives, how he'll take you no matter who you are, where you are. When you are, he will take you. Even in your worst moment, he will pick you up and lift you up. Bring your feet up out of the miry clay. He'll set your feet up on a rock and he'll put a new song in your heart. He loves you. He'll forgive you if you turn your life over to him. I'm going to be telling people about Jesus for the rest of my life and beyond. Telling everyone, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all the wisdom that God will dare give me. Why? Because my hope is actually to present you, just like Paul's hope. You know, the Bible says, Hebrews 13, it says, listen, you want to pay special attention to those people who are teaching you the Word of God, and you want to treat them a little better, okay? Because they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. What does that mean? That means I have to give an account for your soul? Yeah, dare not be a preacher. Dare not be a teacher. 
No, no, no. Why would God put a burden on a preacher of giving account for so? Because we have the privilege and the responsibility of sharing the word of God with families after family, with so many, and uh, you know, being held accountable for what I share with you. If I share something that's just philosophical, if I share something that you know out of Reader's Digest. You know, if I share something that sounds good and ought to be hung on the wall somewhere but has no power in it versus sharing the word of the living God about a loving, living, resurrected Jesus Christ who was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died an atoning death, and is coming again. You know, the truth. That's what the Apostle Paul says. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship, complete in their relationship to Christ. Verse 29, that's, the Apostle Paul said, that's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Well, let's, let's jump to the end of the message today because, you know, I try always to have a hook. So we hadn't got to the hook yet. So far, I've just been baiting you, okay? You know, I've been, you know, fishing you. Here's my hook. You know I'm always going to have something for you to do. Y'all ever get tired of me giving you something to do? I thought today, just before I left the house coming here, I, I, I even said this, you know, do the people, Lord, get tired of me always asking them to do something more, giving them something to do? But I said, Lord, I don't know what else to do. And I even said this, I don't want to tell them how they can take your word and just get more money. I believe they can, Lord, but I don't want that. To, I, that's not what I'm, I don't feel... You know, I mean, okay, you can take the Word of God and make more money. Glory to God. How are you going to do it? Oh, you know, uh, 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 be nice and ask God what to do with it, okay? I don't know. You know, uh, make wise investments and, and you know, give and all, all that. Uh, you know, I, I, I want you to be blessed, but more than anything else, I want people to be born again. And I know that you are the ones that can do it. You're the only army God has. So let's cut to the, to, to, to the hook now. You know, not only did the Apostle Paul feel responsible for the work, uh, even though he was completely dependent on the power of God, completely dependent on the power of God that was within him, he said. I am, I, I am completely dependent on the power of God that's working within me, okay? Jesus inside of him, but yet he felt responsible. But... That must be also why, uh, you know, Titicus and, and, and Onesimus went on their journey and worked so hard and struggled and endured and went, you know, maybe 1,500 miles through, through all kinds of weather. You know, I'm, I, I don't imagine that they were getting paid for this. I don't imagine that they were, you know, somehow, you know, thinking that their names were going down in some eternal record. I imagine that they worked hard and they struggled because they felt responsible to Jesus. They felt responsible that the same message that had changed their life, they knew it would change others' lives if others could hear it as well, and they needed to help it get out into all the world. They wanted to carry this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that, that the reason they braved the land and the sea and their long, arduous journey against all the perils and all of the anti-Christian sentiment in the Roman Empire and, and all, of the, you know, uh, all, all of those religious zealots that were doing everything they could to, 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 to you know, uh, uh, stop the gospel from going forward people hated followers of Christ and they tortured them and they put them to death and persecution was was just 
about to come on the scene like never before. So why? Why did the Apostle Paul work and struggle so hard? He didn't have a trust. It wasn't some foundation that was supporting him. And he wasn't trying to raise a lot of money. Why did these other two young men do it? Same reason. I can't imagine that they understood the importance and the eternal impact of the letters and the message they carried. But, but they had been entrusted with the Word of God. They had been entrusted to carry a message. They believed in the message. They believed in Jesus Christ. And, you know, um, I, I don't know what else to say other than without these two couriers having done their job, without these two couriers of the gospel of Christ taking their responsibilities seriously, taking their opportunities seriously, so much would have been lost and forgotten forever. Can you imagine that? They did all they did because they felt responsible to do it. They felt it was their responsibility. I don't think they had any idea how important it was. Neither do I think that you understand how important it is for you. Here's my hook. To be a courier of the gospel as well. You see, God chose these two men. And God has chosen you as well. He's chosen you with the very same calling that he's chosen them with. They had physical letters they were carrying to be preserved for us. We have that same word today. That we have been entrusted by God and commissioned, chosen, called to carry this gospel into all the world. The same gospel that changed my life is changing lives everywhere it goes. And I've been called to be a courier of that gospel, and so have you. I don't think we fully understand the current value and the eternal impact of the message that we are commissioned to carry. And I'm not sure that we recognize how important it is that we get it to its intended recipients. Because only then will it be preserved for the generations yet to come. The church of the living God is in danger of becoming extinct in every generation. If we do not reproduce, if you do not reproduce, this is the last generation that will see the church. Christianity will cease to exist. And that's how we have to approach it. We are not just the best couriers Jesus has. We are the only couriers he has in this generation. So let me encourage you. Uh, I believe that God will work in you. I know you can do this. He knows you can do this. You may not know you can do this. But I know that according to the power that is alive on the inside of you, you can fulfill your calling to take this gospel into all the world, to be a part of sharing it with one more intended recipient.
It's not that hard. You just read it and repeat it. That's all. It's the good news. You have been chosen. It's a priceless treasure, and it still changes the world. Will you be a trusted courier of Christ? Just let him know. And then get up in the morning and go out to take this gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and a hurting world. He'll work with you. Watch and see what he does. Thanks again for joining us for another encouraging word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.